Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Okay, so we are continuing with our series we started last week called Reach. And it's called Reach because we're exploring how the gospel basically extends and touches the lives of all the people around us. And this is the second talk. So if you missed last week, I encourage you to go back and catch up. Uh, there was a great word we started with last week, a prophetic word given at, Riverside, at, um, at Wildfires for the church. So if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Very, very encouraging word from John Scott, delivered from the uh, platform in the main auditorium, which really, really encouraged us. And last week we explored this, the power of becoming the good news, allowing the yeast of the gospel to work through our lives so that we not only carry a message of Jesus being good news, we actually become part of being the good news to the people around us. And we said it's much easier to deliver good news if you're acting like good news, didn't we? Much harder to deliver good news if you're acting like bad news because people don't tend to want to hear what you have to say if the way you're acting or the way you're treating them is coming across to them as bad news. Now, we spend a bit of time talking about this in our small group uh, uh, this week, and I thought, after those discussions, perhaps we should linger here a little bit longer. Because it's all right for me to say, we just go away and become the good news, and you go, well, actually, how does that work? How does that yeast of the gospel actually work through our lives? So I thought we spend a little bit of time today looking at actually how we might allow that yeast of God's goodness to work in us and so we become the good news. I want to share a few things this morning that might be helpful to you. The first thing I think we have to say, and we were chatting about this week in our group, was actually without God, it's pretty much impossible to really be good news. You might be that, a great person here this morning. You might think, oh, I'm actually a really, really good person. I'm good in so many ways to the people around me. Now, Maybe you could do a census and check what people actually think about that. But, but in reality, it's really hard to be good news all the time, isn't it? Because we're human and we're, and we're, and we're flaky and we're frail and we're inconsistent and, we, and we, uh, we try our best, but often we come up short. And in reality, the model that Jesus gave us when he walked upon the earth was such a radical model, such an otherly model, such a, an inversion of the way the world works. It's a, it's a massive ask just by your own strengths and your own effort to try and live the way Jesus lived. You simply can't do it in your own strength. You might have to do it for a, a day or a week, but soon you will run out of the strength and energy to keep being good, particularly to those people who aren't good to you. Yeah? It's really easy to be good to friends, isn't it, and good to nice people. They're good to you, you'll go back to them, it's all good, everyone's good. But how about the people who aren't good? How about the people who don't show you love, don't show you grace, don't show you understanding? It's really hard to keep being good to those people. And the world is full of those people. They're in this room this morning. So without God in our lives, it's really hard to become the good news to those around us. We said last week, didn't we? as soon as someone bumps into you, what you're full of tends to flow out. Okay? So if you ever want an idea of what's inside you, just look back through your week and see what happened when someone bumped into you. 
and you spontaneously overflowed into their life? <laughs> what was it that kind of flowed out of you when you were caught off guard? You weren't prepared, you weren't in control, you weren't measured. And uh, we've all been there, haven't we? We all, we all react and think, my goodness, where's, the, where's that come from? I didn't know that was in there. <coughs> Jesus said, out the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what he was trying to say was actually, what happens on the inside, what God does on the inside is really important for what comes out onto the outside. And without God in our lives working powerfully, we revert to the old self very quickly. We revert to bad news, being bad news to those around us. We revert to type. We give back what we get. Uh, which Jesus inverted when he said, you know, don't, you've heard it say, well, actually, I'll, I'll say something different to you. You know, love those who persecute you, bless your enemies, go the extra mile. And so we need the work of Jesus in our lives to really become the good news. In all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, there's an account, a story of a rich man who comes to Jesus. He's a powerful man. He's, he's from the ruling classes. And he comes to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, he wants to find out about eternal life. He wants to live beyond the natural life. And I think that's a question that we all carry, don't we? How do we live beyond the natural life? This man had position. He had wealth. He was pretty well sorted in this life. But probably had this nagging anxiety about what happens after this life. What happens next? And so he came to Jesus uh, with questions about how do I ensure I enter into eternal life? How do I enter into eternal life? Let's read from Mark's Gospel the account of this story. I'll put it on the screens for you. As Jesus started on his way, this is from Mark's Gospel, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have, and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle and for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And that's from Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 10. Now normally this passage is used by preachers to encourage you and I to be more generous with our finances. And stewardship, what we do with the things God has entrusted to us on the earth. And that's an important message that's here. But actually, there's some important messages also about how we relate to the kingdom of God. And I want to quickly pick out three things as we look at this passage. The first one is that it tells that goodness comes from God. Goodness doesn't come from you or me. Goodness comes from 
God. The second one is our own efforts always in some way are lacking. They come up short in being good. And the third one is, is that kingdom living really is impossible without God. We we can't just look at Jesus and say, he's a good teacher, he's someone we want to aspire to be like, we want to model our lives on him, we think what he said was good and wise, and then try and emulate him. Because without the activity of the Spirit in our lives, we just simply cannot live in the kingdom. It's impossible to live as Jesus lived without God working in our lives. Let's unpack what I mean by this in this story. In the other gospel account of this story, it says the man is rich, the man is wealthy. The man has sought Jesus out because he wants to know about eternal life. He comes to Jesus and he throws himself at Jesus' feet. He's not too proud to humble himself, which is quite important, I think. He comes and throws himself at Jesus' feet and says, tell me, how, how can I inherit eternal life? What's interesting, straight off the bat, is he addresses Jesus as good teacher. Now you might think that's a great way to address Jesus. Good teacher. Jesus is good. Jesus is a teacher, clearly. Great way to open. But Jesus gives him a very strange response, which Mark records in the Gospel. He says to him, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And when you read it, you think, hang on, Jesus, surely if anyone's good, you are. Yeah? If anyone is good and showing goodness, you are. But Jesus says no one is good except God alone. And we've said before, when we read the Bible, it's really important that we understand context. And the context here is the Jewish context, and the context of a, a rabbi and someone coming to learn from a rabbi. The man was a Jew. He was coming to Jesus as, as a Jewish rabbi. And that's why he calls him teacher, rabbi, teacher. But the thing is, no rabbi ever wanted to be called good, ever. Because they knew that goodness resides with God. And so, don't call me good, because only God is good. And so when this man called Jesus good teacher, what's going on? What's going on here? Now I think you can look on the face of it, maybe Jesus wants to rebuke him and say, no, no, remember, only God is good, I can't be good. But maybe, actually, rather than Jesus rebuking the man, maybe Jesus thinks this man is seeing something in me of the attributes of God. Maybe Jesus isn't rebuking him Maybe he's saying, actually, if you're saying that about me, remember only God is good. So perhaps here I am. Here's God present in this situation in your life. Perhaps he was probing to see what this man really saw in him. You see, if we remember that goodness is from God, no matter how good we think we are, it helps us keep connected to the source of goodness. On a goodness scale of 1 to 10, where would you put yourself this morning? Most probably would put themselves around a 5 or 6, wouldn't they? Mid-table. Now, I'm not, I'm not really bad, but I'm not really good. So I'm kind of mid-table good. Mid-table good. Because we think that some inherent goodness actually resides in us. But we need to remember that any goodness that's in us is in us because we are made in the image of God. Without that, we're just, we're just stardust. 
The elements that make you are formed in the heart of stars, and without God being present, you are literally just stardust this morning, which is a wonderful thing to think about, but it doesn't help us with goodness. It doesn't help us with goodness, because if you think you inherently carry goodness in you because of who you are, then what that can do, it can lead you away from the very source of goodness, which is God. When you and I become followers of Jesus, his goodness begins to flow into us, begin to transform us and change us. Jesus used the analogy of a vine and a branch, didn't he? On the last night of his time with his disciples, he had a meal with them and said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I remain in you, well, that's good news because my life and goodness can flow across that junction where we join together, where we're connected. And he said, if you do that, then you'll be a fruitful person because my goodness will produce fruit in your life and that fruit will bless and touch other people. But if we get disconnected, then that goodness won't flow across that joint. Years ago when we lived up in Birmingham, we used to live in a terraced house without a drive. So we used to park the car on the, on the road outside. It was a long house that went back and back and back and back and back. And right in the back of the house was the kitchen. And I had to wash the car by dragging a hose pipe all the way from the back of the house through the, through the middle entry, all the way to the front of the house to wash the car. When we first moved in, I didn't have an outside tap. What I did, I have this fancy contraption that's supposed to clip onto your kitchen tap. Anyone remember those? What a wonderful device they were. So I used to clip this thing onto my kitchen tap and screw it all down and then drag the hose all the way about 100 feet out to the front of the house so I could wash the car. Well, one day, connect it all up, you know, turn the tap on, rush all the way to the front of the house, get the hose, start washing the car. And suddenly, the water stops flowing at the end of my hose. And I have this horrible feeling. And what's the horrible feeling? It's come disconnected in the kitchen. So I leg it back, all the way back to the entrance, all the way to the back of the house, and yes, the, the, now the kitchen is spraying and beautifully adorned with all the water squirting out, this terrible device that's designed to, to stick on your tap and, and let the water flow through. But I met so many Christians who, who think they can kind of do Christian life in that way. They kind of have this loose connection to Jesus, uh, or no connection to Jesus, but they assume that somehow the life of God will keep flowing into their lives and they will be able to live this life that Jesus calls us all to. See, God's got this unlimited supply of goodness for you and for me. And so the question has to be, doesn't it, how do we, how do we maintain and make that connection with him? What's it look like for you and me to remain in Jesus? Because you might possess some inherent goodness that you can carry, a, a portion of God's goodness, but when push comes to shove, and when you're bumped, and you have to deal with people who aren't being nice to you and aren't being gracious to you, then you need more than just a little bit of goodness you've got inside. You need to be connected to a, a supernatural goodness that can flow through your life to other people. Because the goodness you carry, and I carry, isn't enough for radical kingdom living. It isn't enough for the life that Jesus called you and I into. So Jesus responds to this man. He says, remember it's a Jewish context. You know the commandments. You know, you, you shan't murder, you shan't commit adultery. Is he just giving him a list? I think maybe he knows the man has been morally, religiously 
okay. He's followed through on the things he was told he should do from the Torah perspective. And the man responds, teacher, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. I'm good. I'm a good, good person. This ruler's done well in his own efforts to keep up with the obligations set upon him by the religious system. He's kept them all. Now, whether he actually had or not, we don't know. Probably Jesus knew. But Jesus decides to go a little bit deeper with him. He says, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And I love that in the, in the text. Jesus looked at this man and he loved him. Jesus looks at you and loves you. Regardless of whether you're over-egging it or whether you are flaky or whatever's happening in your life, Jesus knows and he looks at you and he loves you. You take nothing away from this morning but that. Remember that when Jesus looks at you, he loves you. He doesn't look at you and think, oh, goodness sake. <laughs> he doesn't look at you and think, oh. He looks at you and he loves you. So Jesus looks at this man. I imagine he really did peer intently into this man's soul. And uh, he says, one thing you lack, just the one thing, one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. You see, this man had lived an exemplary life, it seems, but it was still lacking. It was still not enough for the kingdom, goodness and living that Jesus was pointing him to. Jesus says, you still lack just the one thing, go and sell everything you have, then you'll have treasure and come and follow me. So this story isn't, isn't about money. It's about anything that leads us into independence from God. Anything that leads us to self-save. Anything that enables us to stand apart from God and be independent. Because all those efforts will always come up short. They will always be lacking. And you might feel this morning, like the ruler in the story, you do a lot of things right in your life. You've got a lot of things sorted out. You've got a lot of things down. You're doing a lot of things well, a lot of things that are good. You play by the rules. You uphold the law. You try and be a good person. You've got a lot of things right. But Jesus said, it doesn't matter how much that stuff you've got going on, that independent righteousness is still lacking in the kingdom. It's not enough for the radical kingdom life that Jesus is calling you and I to. And he really drives this home by saying to the man, just one thing left to do, sell the lot, follow me. Jesus loved this man. He isn't trying to make him fail. He isn't trying to trip him up. He's trying to highlight the very thing that caused him to be independent, his wealth and his status and his belief that the law will save him is the very thing that's preventing him from fully having eternal life. He's just trying to expose the man's limits and the limitations of what the man is doing, which he thinks is gaining favour with God. You see, the eternal life that he seeks, and you and I, I think, seek, the life beyond this life, is not found in our best efforts. It's just not found in them. It's not found in our attempts to be good people. Those very things for this man, his wealth and his status and his power and his position, all these things, these self-saving things were preventing him from fully 
connecting and receiving what Jesus had for him in the kingdom. He wanted spiritual life. He wanted eternal life. He wanted something beyond what he'd experienced. But Jesus said, well, those things that you have that you think render you good actually are getting in the way. So ditch all that and follow me. He said in this text there, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. The man determined that this was just an ask too far. The cost was too great. Maybe he's expecting Jesus to say, great, you've ticked all the boxes, you have eternal life, you know, well done, on your way, son, great job. But instead, Jesus revealed the true nature of the kingdom to him, that to enter into eternal life, it is in dethroning ourselves and receiving all that God has for us. But for the man, he perceived the sacrifice too great because he had great wealth. Now Jesus knows the disciples have been watching him and watching this, this discourse. And he turns to them and says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And you imagine them all sitting there sages going, yes, Jesus, it's really difficult and really hard. But actually, they are flabbergasted. Because for them, in that culture, if you are rich and you are powerful, clearly God was blessing your life. This was a blessed man who approached Jesus. He had position, respect, wealth. If he wasn't cutting it with God, then who was? Who was making it? He says the disciples were amazed at his words. When we read that, we think they're probably going, Jesus, you're amazing, the way you dealt with that man, the way you put him in his place, you know, the way you showed him what was really important. Jesus, just an amazing person. We're amazed at you, Jesus. But the word in the Greek means to be stupefied with surprise. Their jaws were on the floor. Jesus, if he's not getting in, who's getting in? If this man who's got all the trappings of blessing, he's got wealth, he's got position, if he's not getting in, then who on earth is getting in? Stupefied with surprise. But Jesus keeps the surprises coming. He keeps piling on. He says, well, actually, it's much easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, theologians have speculated perhaps there was a gate in the wall of Jerusalem called the Needle Gate, and perhaps there was a camel that couldn't fit through. (laughs) But I think Jesus is purely talking about needles and camels. He's using a massive exaggeration to drive the point home. There's a needle, and there's a camel. How hard can that be? How hard can that be? It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a person to enter the kingdom of God by their own efforts. You might as well just try and get on with that as enter the kingdom using your own efforts. It says the disciples were even more amazed. And that means to be dumbstruck with astonishment. They're literally on the floor trying to cope with what Jesus is telling them about the nature of the kingdom. Who can be saved? They say, well, you must give up now. Who, Who can be saved? If this rich, powerful, ultra religious man can't be saved, well, who can be? Who can enter the kingdom? 
And that leads me to my third point, that kingdom living is impossible without God's help. Jesus responds in this way. He says, he looked at them. I love it when he says Jesus looked at them because he did actually look at them. With man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. So in front of the disciples' eyes, Jesus showed this great reversal that is the true nature of the kingdom. For them, the rich and the powerful and the law-abiding, they were the ones guaranteed to get into heaven. They were the ones guaranteed to get eternal life. But Jesus said, actually, all those things that you think are advantages can often be disadvantages in trying to get close to God, in trying to receive what God has for us. Because being wealthy is no advantage when you're trying to get into the kingdom. Even being religious is no real value when you're trying to get into the kingdom. Status and power is no real value when you're trying to get into the kingdom. Because none of these things give you a leg up in terms of how God sees you. In fact, it's often the poor and the powerless who find God. Because they recognize their need, their situation, and they cry to God for help. They find it much easier to dethrone themselves because they have so little to dethrone themselves from. But if you have great position and great wealth in this world, it's a big thing to ask to step down, isn't it? And Jesus knew that for this rich young man who had position and power and money, the thing that was stopping him from really knowing God fully were these trappings. So he wasn't being... He wasn't trying to harm them by saying, get rid of them. He was saying, get rid of them because they're stopping you from fully knowing and entering into the kingdom. So goodness comes from God. And our own efforts are always going to be lacking. And kingdom living is impossible, really, without God. So what can we do? What can we do this morning if we know those things, if we're aware of those things? Well, the first thing I wanted to say to you, if goodness really comes from God... You and I have to figure out how we remain in Jesus. I can't tell you this morning how to remain in Jesus. You have got to figure it out. Because Jesus said, if you remain in me, then my life will flow into your life. And my goodness will flow into your life and it will transform it. Somehow we have to figure out how to keep the tap and the hose connected, don't we? For ourselves. You and I have to figure out what it looks like for us to remain in Jesus. Because as soon as we make a disconnection, then that goodness stops flowing into us. And I'm simplifying this for the sake of this talk. But you and I have to figure out how we remain in Jesus. What's it look like for you to remain in Jesus? It might be the simplest thing. It might be the simplest thing that when you wake in the morning, you say, good morning, Jesus. You know, I want to invite you into my day. It might be as simple as the last thing at night, saying, good night, Jesus, I recognize you were present with me today. It might involve reading your Bible. It might involve going for walks. It might involve taking some time to pray for others. I can't tell you what it looks like for you to remain in Jesus. All I can encourage you is that you need to remain in Jesus. Because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And again, he wasn't trying to be uh, difficult. He was just expressing the reality of the kingdom. We somehow have to figure out how do we remain in Jesus? What's it look like for you and what's it look like for me? And you might have a great way of doing that already. And if you have, share it with somebody. Share it with a friend. Say, well, I do this and I've tried that and this works for me. 
But you, ultimately, it's between you and Jesus. You need to figure out, what's that look like for me? What gives me life? How can I feel like I'm remaining in him on a daily basis? And the second thing, if we know that our efforts will always come up short, if we try and self-save, then we have to somehow figure out how to stop doing that, don't we? It talks in the Bible about taking off the old self and putting on the new. Almost like a daily choice. We take off the old clothes and we put on the new clothes and we continue to do that throughout our Christian walk. And the reason Paul, the Apostle Paul uses this language is because we've got these habits, haven't we? When you and I come to Christ, we don't just, just throw, throw everything away. We bring all our old self with us. And we've got all these habits and ways of thinking and attitudes. And Paul says, almost on a daily basis, we need to be thinking about how do we take those off and how do we put on the ones that Jesus wants us to put on? A daily process of taking off and putting on. And I think the only way we can really do that is actually take time and stop and reflect and think about our lives. No one knows you like you do. You're the only person, apart from God, who really knows you. Because we all talked before about we craft a, um, an exterior, don't we, that we present to people. Yeah? Yeah, you've got your best Sunday best on this morning. It's very nice. <clears throat> but behind that Sunday best, there's a whole lot of attitudes and habits and different things that we do. And we're the only ones who really know about them. Unless somebody else gets to see one, which can be unpleasant. But we, can, we, can, you know, we have these habits and attitudes and things, don't we? And they're like clothes that we carry with us. And so Jesus says, take off those old clothes and put on some new ones that I've got for you. They're much better fitting. They're much more suited to to life. But the only way we become aware of those things, because most of the time we're on autopilot. We go through our days and we're on autopilot, aren't we? We get up, we do our thing, we go to bed. Another day passes, a week passes, a month passes, a year passes. We're on autopilot. Yeah? It's funny, when we were in the States, because we were seeing things new every day, it felt like a very long time for us. But for people over here, it felt like a very short time that we were away because you were doing the same things. You were doing the same routines. And so you're on, you're on autopilot, whereas we were having to look at new things and find it. And life, and life felt like time was stretched because... And that's the way it works. Most of your life is on autopilot. So somewhere we have to figure out how we step back Find time and say, let me reflect on my day. Let me reflect on my week. What habits or attitudes are present there that I no longer want to have? God, help me. I'm inviting you into these particular things. The whole thing about Ignatian spirituality and, and taking the exam and taking time to step back and reflect, it's all about a chance for you and I to say, God, I want to somehow be renewed and changed by you. If you run an autopilot, then nothing is going to change. You'll keep those habits and attitudes and the same thing. You'll just keep reoccurring and reoccurring and reoccurring. The Bible says we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that renewal takes space and time. So you and I have to figure out how to remain in Jesus, but also have to figure out where's the space and time from allowing Jesus to come in. I'm inviting him into my attitudes and habits and saying, Jesus, will you renew me? Will you change me? And will you transform me? And that only happens if we create that time and space for it to happen. And lastly, if kingdom living is impossible without God, the simplest thing you and I can do is ask for help. Ask for help. It's something we just forget because we're conditioned to live independently. It sounds like the simplest thing, but so often we forget it. 
I love the account in Mark's Gospel as a, as a father who brings his son to Jesus to be healed. And uh, he says to Jesus, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And I, I love that phrase in that Gospel. I do believe, but Jesus, would you help me overcome my unbelief? And that's where most of our Christian walk is. Jesus, I do believe in you, but would you help me? Would you help me in this situation? Would you help me in this circumstance? Would you help me what I'm facing? How would the story of the rich young ruler have changed if at the end the man said, Jesus, I want to do that, but would you help me? Would you help me? But he didn't, did he? He went away sad. Kingdom living is impossible unless we invite God into our lives and allow him to change us and be the source of goodness flowing through us. Going solo, no matter how confident you feel, never works. Never works. It just doesn't work. So you and I are called to daily re-invite God into our lives, invite the activity of the Spirit into our lives, take off the old <laughs> and put on the new and be transformed. It says in the Scriptures, we are being transformed by degrees little by little, into the glory of God. Little by little, day by day, we're being transformed by the glory of God. But you and I are called to partner with that process. Jesus couldn't make the rich young ruler get rid of his stuff and follow him. All he could do was highlight what needed to be done. You want eternal life? Really? Okay, so this is what needs to happen. And Jesus won't ever make you into something. He won't make you do something. He will just show you what needs to be done and invite you into that process and by the power of his spirit enable that to happen. But you and I have to partner with that process. And where the modern church has done you and I a disservice, it said, well, you've said a prayer, you've invited Jesus in, you've got your barcode, you're going to heaven, job done. But actually... When you invite Jesus in, when he reaches you with the gospel, that's just the start of a process theologians call sanctification, where you and I get made by degrees into the likeness of God and the likeness of Christ. Now, I believe the gospel has got the power to change every single person's life. Not because it's just a good argument, not because we can convince someone that God is real, but because there's power in the gospel to transform lives. Paul said, the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And that word there, salvation, means to fully rescue and bring to safety and health and wholeness. The gospel has the power to do that in the life of every person, I believe. And so you and I are not just faced with a good idea this morning or a good set of arguments or a good set of to-do lists. We are saying, how can we connect with the power of the gospel to change our lives, to transform us into being part of the good news? Because the gospel has power if we partner with it to transform us and change us. And that's what following Jesus is all about. It's about allowing that power of the gospel into our lives 
to change us. Because you could come here for the next 10 years and hear me waffle on. But decide not to partner with the gospel. Like the rich young ruler, you could go away and say, actually, that is not for me. That is not for me. I don't want any more of you, God, in my life. I want to just bring the bar down here. And that's as far as I am <coughs> going to go. But if you're going to be a people who radically reflect what Jesus called us to, it's only by the power of the gospel that we can do that. And none of us have got an advantage. doesn't matter how much money or wealth or position or power you've got. That's not a leg up in the kingdom. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.